My dear parishioners and friends of St. Anne's Church, welcome to Sunday worship with us. And we look forward to seeing more of you in the coming weeks as we begin to reopen in a relative way with a maximum number of 100 persons permitted on Sunday worship. So we're looking forward to that. Please stay in touch with our website for all the details about this reopening at St. Anne's starting next weekend. So we worship this Sunday as the church returns to the numbered Sundays in the liturgical calendar of the church in what we call ordinary time. Just a brief word about ordinary. The word ordinary does not mean the usual, the everyday, ho-hum. And it's not even exposed to its opposite, the extraordinary. Rather, ordinary refers to the counting numbers for those Sundays which are not assigned to a particular feast or special solemnity. So here we are on the 12th Sunday of some 34 Sundays in ordinary time. And the color shifts back to green vesture, the liturgical color for this time of the year. And on that note, I'd just like to thank on your behalf, my own sister, Susan Watkins, one of our parishioners who makes all of these vestments and all the vesture in our sanctuary that adorns the house of the Lord here at St. Anne's and what a beautiful improvement that is made and what beauty that brings to our celebration of the Eucharist. Thank you, Susan, so much for that gift. So what seems liturgically ordinary doesn't quite fit all the extraordinary events going on right now in our nation and the world these months. Quite the contrary. If anything, the pandemic of coronavirus, the storms of protests and demonstrations in the wake of the death of George Floyd, coupled with the removal of monuments and symbols associated with historic and enduring racism in our land, the uneasy economy and political landscape at this time, and a whole host of issues and problems here and abroad, all this together can seem so extraordinary, hardly ordinary. And that can overwhelm us. So the year of 2020 has been anything but ordinary. In fact, I've joked that my hope was that we'd all see more clearly with 2020 vision in this year of 2020. But so many of the events going on all around us have blurred that vision quite a lot. And when we can't see clearly, when things get blurry, even when a kind of blindness sets in, there can be cause for alarm, anxiety, fear, and even despair. Associated with all the events going on around us, which the media bombards us constantly with bad news here and even worse news there, the feelings of helplessness, anger, uncharitable thoughts and feelings, and as we said, even fear and anxiety can pop up and take over. In those moments, we have to take a huge pause, a deep breath, even a long nap. 
My brother once told me that anytime I want to write a nasty email or letter to someone who's upset me, to take a little time, wait one day for each line in that angry letter, and then decide at the end if you really want to send it, if you really need to send it. Almost always, he is right. I don't need to send those angry letters. Wait before you act. Don't make hasty decisions. Never act out of anger or distress, but be patient for a time. Relax, and most especially, pray. I have found my brother's prudent counsel so helpful in times when someone's hurt my feelings, misjudged me, or lied about me to others. Just take some time to sit back with all those hurt feelings, those uncomfortable feelings, and reflect on what Jesus might do in the situation and pray. In a way, isn't that in part what's going on today in the book of Jeremiah? Here, Jeremiah is profoundly aware that the critics of his day want to bring him down. He writes, I hear the whisperings of many. Denounce him. Let us denounce him. All those who are my friends are on the watch for any misstep of mine. Perhaps he will be trapped. Then we can prevail and take our vengeance on him. Many of the Old Testament prophets were misjudged and maltreated, even killed. Of course, all of that is but the precursor to Jesus, the greatest of the prophets, and more, who would in time be misjudged, maltreated, misinterpreted, tortured, and crucified by the critical voices of his own day. They denounced him. None of this and none of us likes to be misjudged, maltreated, hurt, or exposed unjustly. All that violates us. It's abusive, and it's so opposed to charity and love of God and neighbor. And with those unjust actions against us, it's so easy to want to get even, to take vengeance out on people, to blame them, to lash out. Each of us is different in some respects, I suppose, in how we handle our response to these unjust situations that we experience. But my point is that I wonder how many of us, following my own brother's prudent advice about anger management, really stop to take the time to listen, to reflect, and especially to pray in those moments when it would seem easier and even seem the right thing to do to settle the score with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I'm going to get even with you that way. I wonder. If we look at Jeremiah's response to the unjust critics who want to bring him down and denounce his good name publicly, he writes, but the Lord is with me like a mighty champion. My persecutors will stumble. They will not triumph. In their failure, they will be put to utter shame, to lasting, unforgettable confusion. In other words, 
Jeremiah puts all of his feelings to the side and hands them over to the Lord for his judgment, his justice. And Jeremiah finds some personal satisfaction in realizing that in handing over his difficulty to the Lord, that in the end, the Lord will vindicate the justice when he writes, let me witness the vengeance you take on them, for to you I have entrusted my cause. To you, Lord, I have entrusted my cause. So I believe that if I hand over my difficulty to our divine Lord with faith and trust that he will ultimately take care of me, then I can find some peace, some refuge, some solace in the midst of the storm. And then like Jeremiah, I can say, for he has rescued the life of the poor from the power of the wicked. He has rescued me from their power over me. Now, dear friends, what's that power over me? What's the power I think that other people have over me? Let's reflect on that. I think we make a big mistake when we think we can get even with people on our own. Ironically, we can often unwittingly make someone else's anger our anger. That demon of anger that they have can come into us if we let that anger come into us. And so we give them a certain power over us when we allow their anger to become ours. We buy into their power and it can take over. We say we want justice. I wonder, I wonder sometimes if some of us really want justice or do we want vengeance that masquerades as justice? I wonder. I've been doing a lot of wondering this summer. I think the recent protests and marches have been filled with a lot of people who are peacefully demonstrating for authentic justice and for an end to races in our land and for a number of just causes. There is a kind of righteous anger going on there, and that is correct. That is rational. That is good. It is in accord with the gospel. There's no problem with that. Even Jesus exercised righteous anger, remember, when he was in the temple and got fed up with the money changers who were violating the temple and turned them over and made a whip of cords and said, get out of my father's house. So Jesus was righteously angry at the injustice committed there. But then there's something else going on which blurs justice. It blurs things. We can't see clearly. It makes things irrational and wrong. In fact, unjust. And that's what we call vengeance. Getting even with somebody or even demonstrating against a system with vengeance comes from a deep-seated anger which shows itself in an irrational way. See, vengeance is not justice. Vengeance is sin. 
It's opposed of charity, of patience. It's why it's called one of those deadly sins. Vengeful anger is a deadly sin. That's the stuff of the eye for the eye and the tooth for the tooth. I'll get even with you. And Jesus condemns that. Not because Jesus is not about justice, but that he's about God's working out the justice properly. And he's asking us to rely on his justice and not on our own version of that, which sometimes gets blurred. See, when we don't keep God in the picture when it comes to fighting for our causes of justice, then we set ourselves up to do it our way. And that may not be his way. And so often, that's a selfish and uncharitable, truly unjust way when I want to do it my way. Oh, I know it's a delicate balance, I know, because it's very important spiritually. And the spiritual weapon is always relying first upon grace before we make decisions when we're upset and angry. When we make decisions in compulsive reaction emotionally, or rashly, without thinking it through, on the other hand, that's not of God. That's not of God. That's of man in the fallen state. We allow our fuse to be so short that we don't take the time to pause and reflect and pray, and by that time, it's all over. Boom. It's done. It's a mess. So to address any injustice requires first a clear reliance on the grace of God which has been given to us through the perfect act of justice, namely the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now that brings us to the second reading today from St. Paul. St. Paul writes in so many words that sin, the original sin of that first man and first woman, our parents, Adam and Eve, came about when they thought that they could control the justice of things. They wanted to act as though they were God themselves. And there's a huge consequence to that irrational choice of doing it my way, of trying to control it my way, of saying it's mine to control. Paul goes on. He says, through one man, sin entered the world, and through sin, death. But he goes on to tell us that the injustice committed by mankind could never be properly addressed, never made up adequately by man. And so, a new man is required, born of a new woman, the co-woman, the woman. And that new man is Jesus, and that new woman is Mary the Blessed Virgin. And so a new man, born of a new woman, would be required intelligently to afford a proper justice before God for the injustice that we committed. St. Paul goes on, he writes, for if by the transgression of the one many died, how much more did the grace of God and the gracious gift of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow for the many? Again, friends, 
how much more did the grace of God See, the justice that Jesus Christ accomplishes is a gift of grace which overflows for the many, for you, for me. So it's the grace of God which affords a more adequate response to the injustice which not only Adam and Eve, but every man and woman commits. Relying then on the grace of God is crucial in this equation if you want justice. See, Mary and Jesus are, in a true spiritual sense, our first responders. We see a lot of first responders in these days. We admire them for their heroic acts in the face of overwhelming challenges, our doctors and nurses and healthcare workers, so many volunteers, we rely on them. We need them and we applaud them because they make heroic sacrifices. We can't do this without them. In a sense, we so need to get out of their way so that they can do their jobs. When we, on the other hand, try to control the situation ourselves, when we rush in and think, oh, I can do it better. I can bring about a just resolution to this problem. When we rush in and do it like that, with that hasty, angry, somewhat self-centered motive, we don't bring about the justice. We bring about confusion. And that's when more complications happen. So we need to get out of their way so they can do their job. And that's hard to do if you're a control freak who thinks you know what's best all the time and you have all the answers. That sounds like God to me. Someone who has all the answers. Do you have all the answers? I wonder. By analogy, we rely on Jesus and Mary then, and not ourselves, as our first responders. Because they know what's up, and they know how to do it best. We couldn't save ourselves, so God sent us his only son. Now note, and I say this with all respect, that God did not send a committee. He didn't send a task force. He didn't send an army. He didn't send us money. He didn't send us a memo. He didn't write a letter. Now, don't get me wrong, all of that has its proper place when properly used, but it's interesting to note that God sent his only son. That's incredible. He sent his son. Now, God could have done it, I suppose, with all the other manners and ways that we said, perhaps something else, I suppose, but it's interesting that he sent our first responder. 
and that is Jesus. And he told us to get out of the way because our thinking up to then, under the old law, could never justify us before God. That's why he sent his only son, because we could not justify ourselves. We could not make up the justice ourselves for the injustice we committed. All the other sacrifices of the Old Testament, Jesus says, put them aside. I will be the perfect act of justice for you. I am man and God. Again, as we said last week, that's what makes this incredible religion of ours so intelligent that we have a perfect justification in Jesus, not in our works, not in our sacrifices or agenda. So when we get out of the way, when we stand aside, we do it by letting Jesus accomplish these acts for us. And the job is quite simple. Let Jesus die for you. What? Yeah. Let Jesus put to death the transgressions against you. Make the humble act to place all of your anger and even all of your desire to get even with others, all your hurt feelings, all your uncharitable thoughts, all your sins. Place them before the cross. And let him take them and crush them under the weight of his body. See, friends, this is real. We're not just remembering Calvary. This is not just a historic moment. We're not just remembering. We are representing what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, every time in a very poignant and specially spiritual way at every Mass. We place our sins before him. We offer them up. And this takes sacrifice because a lot of us just want to hold on to them. They're mine. I'm not going to let go of that. I'm not letting go of my anger, my vengeance, or any other uncharity. Get over it. If you can't forgive persons, let Jesus forgive them for you. I hear that all the time. Father, I can't forgive them. Then you know what? Get out of the way. There's a first responder on the way. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. Because he wants to forgive them. And in doing so will help you to forgive them. Stop trying to control him. If you want to be vengeful, Think before you act and hand it over to Jesus who will nail it to the cross for you. You don't have to do it on your own. It's not really your call. It's his. And this, friends, is his gracious gift that St. Paul writes of. You and I didn't really deserve it. So don't ignore the gift. Don't cast it aside. St. Paul writes, but the gift is not like the transgression and how much more did the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow for the many? In other words, the gift of God is the grace which he affords us and not what we think we can afford ourselves. 
if we get out of the way, Jesus can do the work. He can respond in our moments of crisis and hurts and wounds and all the bad feelings about everything going on all around us. See, I think our nation is at a critical moment in history as every civilization experiences its own critical moments when the crucial ingredient of prayer has been forgotten or attempts have been made to rub it out in the recipe for national healing, even for the cause of justice. When God is pushed to the side or eliminated from this equation, history has objectively told us that very bad things happen. Now, I don't know exactly why. I don't even attempt to know all the answers. But I do believe that this is a most intelligent mystery and that we have been speaking about mystery these last weeks from this pulpit. And I think we have here a very intelligent mystery going on, not to scare us, but to wake us up and get it together. In fact, we've been hearing that phrase, we will get through this together. How often have you heard that? We'll get through this together, referring to the pandemic. I think you mean, I hope, God and we can get through this together. Or am I missing something? If we deny his presence and power, his grace, his desire to save us, to heal us, to transform us into his image and likeness and not our own, if we deny all of that, which is his gift to us through his divine sacrifice, which makes all of that reality present to us through the sacrament of his body and blood poured out for the many, then, as our Lord says, whoever denies me before others, I will deny before my heavenly Father. Oh my God. Wow. He's not messing around, friends. Jesus doesn't mess around, doesn't play with words. Jesus knows we will be messing around if we think differently. We've been messing around for a long time now. So often I'm afraid as a church, as a nation, we don't pray enough. We don't call upon his divine name. We don't invoke the saints, especially the Virgin Mary. We don't confess. We don't take these spiritual realities of sin and Satan seriously and all their evil powers. And believe me, they are real. And I don't think we often really trust in God. We say that as a nation, but I wonder, I just wonder. And all that sets up a titanic moment. Now, all this doesn't happen in a day or in one administration politically or in one decade. This takes time. This takes a long time. Now, I'm not being an alarmist. And I think there's an intelligent moment, though, for us to see in these circumstances to take a very serious look at things, a very sober look to see more clearly with 2020 vision in this very historic year of 2020, through the lens of Jesus and Mary, that we are not in control. Adam and Eve thought they were. 
That's always Satan's design to think, to make us think that we're in control. It's mine and we have all the answers and that we collectively can solve the world's problems, that we and we and we are our own gods. Human history is fraught with examples of pride before the fall. Hubris and nemesis, as the Greeks call it. On the other hand, Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel today, everyone who acknowledges me before others I will acknowledge before my Heavenly Father. So he's instructing us to acknowledge him, to make him known, to claim him, as Saint, as, as Jeremiah says, as our fortress and our shield. And as the prophet hearkened earlier, the Lord is with me like a mighty champion. But it won't be precisely because I or we accomplished this on our own. No, as I said, this is grace. And that's where grace comes in. The life and love of God can win the victory for us. And that gift of grace comes really and powerfully in the divine presence of the God-man who represents himself really and powerfully in this sacrifice, in his victory over Satan, through his body and blood in the Holy Eucharist. Now, that's the reason why Mass must exist. That's why the Catholic Church must exist. Not because I want it. Because God demands it. So that all of this can happen through Him. For us. And as St. Paul writes, this gracious gift of the one man overflows for the many. Isn't that the words I will utter in a moment as a priest at this Mass and every Mass over elements of bread and wine for you and for the many so that sins may be forgiven. And so, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, pray for the grace to accept His control in your life right now. Pray that we stop messing around with our feeble attempts to control everything, which actually makes us even angrier ironically, because we think we're in control. We never will be, ultimately. Pray that the Holy Spirit inspire our leaders and those who protest and march. Pray that the Holy Spirit comes upon our nation and our world. Pray and do not cease praying, says Jesus. Do not persist in your unbelief, but believe, he says. And know that I am with you always. What reassurance, what blessed reassurance. He writes, fear no one. Let no one take possession of your soul but our divine Lord, the first of all responders who wins even now the victory for us and heals us from sin and division and unites us in his own body and blood so that we can acknowledge him first in our lives and that he in turn can acknowledge us before the Father. Let him take possession of your souls. Help us to acknowledge him. In acknowledging him, we will be acknowledged before the Father. A blessed Father's Day to all of you.